0: Picture that I want to share with you. A little humor before we dig into the story of Jonah. It appears poor Bernie is the victim of yet another meme. That is, his image is used in digital culture on pictures added to people's parties or landmarks or maybe even in front of your house that often carry symbolic meaning representing a particular phenomenon or theme or event. In this case, I do believe that the picture was taken from the inauguration. So as a result of this, I have made him the new chair of the Ways and Memes Committee. All right, I'm done. What do you remember about the story of Jonah? Because that's our topic for today. Swallowed by a whale, right? Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that it was a whale, but it was a big fish. You may recall it was sent by God to swallow Jonah and take him back to Joppa, the port city on the coast of Israel, so that he would fulfill the Lord's calling. What you don't remember about Jonah is that he had a phone that had call waiting. Paul waiting, that is, putting God on hold. The book of Jonah is very short, only four chapters long, and the Old Testament text that is ours for today on which we will meditate is chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and verse 10. It's not even the dramatic part of the story. So we are used to hearing of God sending his prophets to northern Israel or southern kingdom of Judah, and... They were always sent to call into repentance, to turn from their evil ways, leave their idol worshiping, and return to the Lord. We're used to hearing the voice of the prophets preach destruction to the nation of Israel because of their injustice, their unrighteousness, and their idolatry. And we're used to hearing of the Israelites turning deaf ears to the Lord, to the prophets, and to continue living following their own gods and not Yahweh. We also may be used to the prophets feeling inadequate. For example, Isaiah, before the throne of God, was mute and feared being destroyed because he was unholy in God's presence. And if it wasn't until God took coal, burning coal, and purified his mouth, that Isaiah was able to speak for him. Or you may remember Jeremiah the prophet, who tried, tried again, again in the first few chapters of the book of Jeremiah, to convince god that he was just too young that people will not listen to him because he's too long, young the lord promised jeremiah that he would put his word in his mouth and that god himself would be his power and authority what we're not used to is a prophet who when called puts god on call waiting who not used to hearing of a prophet who turns the other way and runs in the exact opposite direction after being called, and that's exactly what Jonah did. When God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, the Assyrian capital city, to preach his word, Jonah fled. It's funny in the Hebrew because these two phrases are set right beside each other, and God says to, uh, to Jonah, go up and go immediately to Nineveh. Next verse, Jonah got up and immediately went to Tarshish, which as you can see, one of the places that is suspected of being Tarshish is all the way on the other side of the Mediterranean world in Southwest Spain, a town that at that time was called Tarsisi in whatever language they spoke in Spain at that time. So while God is waiting, Jonah contracts a ship with sailors, takes off in the opposite direction. And as you know the story, the sailors are more afraid of the wrath of God than Jonah is. After they consult their own gods, which would have been Baal and Dagon, to calm the waters down, they wonder why Jonah isn't doing the same. He's asleep in the bow of the boat. Hmm. Remember, Jesus did the same thing on the Sea of Galilee. But Jonah is ready to meet his maker. At the hands of God, he's ready to die. He knows he's the one who's causing all of this. And after casting lots, the sailors, they find out that Jonah is the culprit for the storm. His name pops out as the person guilty. So they throw him overboard after which the storm immediately stills, but Jonah is in the belly of the fish. But God's persistently patient with Jonah. And while in the fish, Jonah prays that God would deliver him from death, which surrounds him in the deeps at the gates of the netherworld. He doesn't actually repent of sin, but he claims God's protection and mercy. And God abides. God was called upon, and he says, whoever calls upon me has mercy and forgiveness. And so Jonah is spit out onto the beach. But the question that remains is, why would this prophet of God, the only one, actually put God on hold, not even dialoguing with him? If back in the book of Kings, Jonah is mentioned as being a prophet of God, he comes from a family of prophets, which is how God called prophets back then by families. Why? Did he not trust in God? Did he think himself unworthy to go to Nineveh like Isaiah and Jeremiah when they were called? God does something different with Jonah. He doesn't call him to go to Israel. He doesn't call him to go to Judah and preach. With Jonah, he calls him to go to the pagan country of Assyria, to the city of Nineveh, which today is believed probably to be in the vicinity of Mosul, Iraq. God chose him to go not to Israel, not to Judah, but to the Assyrian nation who had conquered and destroyed Israel. Was Jonah afraid? Maybe just a little bit. Assyria was the up and coming empire in the ninth century. It sort of saw a little decline and then reassumed its uh, destructive power and empire after Jonah went to them. But they were brutal, they were a military might. The military leaders quartered prisoners tying them to four horses. They would bend tree limbs and tie them down, crisscrossing their thick branches in the form of an X and then putting prisoners on them and then cut the branches, cut the tethers, holding the trees back, catapulting quartered body parts in all directions. He was supposed to bring God's word of repentance to these people, not to the Israelites, but to the infidels. If God's own people tortured and killed the prophets of God that God sent to them, and they were the chosen people, what could be his fate in the hands of people God did not choose? Idol worshipers, pagan scum, those not worthy of the Lord's word, let alone his forgiveness. Was Jonah afraid? Maybe just a little bit. Did he not trust God? I don't know. That's not why Jonah was afraid. Ironically, he did trust God. He knew the power and the authority of God's word, and he knew that God was a loving God for all who called upon him. No, Jonah put God on call waiting and went to the extreme opposite side of the Mediterranean world because he was afraid that the people of Nineveh would actually listen to God undeservedly, repent and not be destroyed, and once again become a powerful nation. Jonah was angry at God for calling other nations into a relationship of forgiveness and love that was uniquely for the people of Israel. Those that were not worthy of the love like Israel was shouldn't get any bit of the God that Israel had, God Almighty. These were the pagan scum who desecrated the Lord's temple, They didn't deserve it, Nineveh. They were a different ethnicity. They were politically different. They took God's people into exile. They tortured, killed them. The worst thing that Jonah feared, the worst possible thing, is that these unworthy, unrighteous sinners would repent and believe, whereas his own people would turn their back on God. How dare God waste his mercy and forgiveness on such unrighteous people, such dirty people? Israelites looked down their noses at them. They probably even made jokes about them. How many Ninevites does it take to screw in a light bulb? They were the scapegoat for all of Israel's hatred. Israel wouldn't be caught dead associating or talking with these people. They were unclean. I mean, how dare God use me, Jonah, a righteous Jew, a servant of the true God to go to unclean people whose chief God, Dagon, was a god of fish, a fish god, and whose wife Nina was a fish goddess. That's right. The name Nineveh was named after the fish goddess Nina, the wife of Dagon, who according to their mythology was the father of Baal. And here you can see some of the reliefs where this god is actually inside of a fish. How humiliating for Jonah, having been called by God to go preach his word to a city who worships a God in the form of a fish, runs away from God, who in turn chooses a fish to finally make Jonah come around and come back to shore. You have to admire God's sense of humor in dealing with Jonah, although not humorous to Jonah, I'm sure. But while in the belly of the fish, Jonah has a come to Jesus meaning. come to Yahweh meeting, and repents and and returns to God, begging him to save him. The fish spits him up on shore, and God calls him a second time, and that's what our text reads. It's like God saying, let's get this right, Jonah. Who's in charge here? God calls Jonah a second time, and Jonah this time goes, but his attitude hasn't changed his worst fears are confirmed, and he gets even more angry. Nineveh repents. They fear the Lord. They worship him. They dress in sackcloth and ashes. They're spared from destruction, and their nation is strengthened. Whereas Jonah's own people do not return or repent to their liberating God, an unworthy pagan city listens and believes." Is there maybe just a little bit of Jonah inside of you? Inside of me? At whom do you look down your nose at? Is there something that just makes us not want to be God's messenger to those around us? Might God choose you to share his love with the homeless or the, an ex-convict? or some other ugly scum of society that people might consider them? Oh my gosh, might that person come to my church for fellowship? What are you afraid of? Is there a part of the town you're afraid of? You just don't wanna go down in that area of the city where God couldn't possibly be sending you there to interact with his people, his creation. It's, It's too dangerous. To what lengths do you go or what excuses do you make to not tell another person what you believe about God or that you believe in God's truth in a particular matter of morality or ethics just to avoid persecution or ridicule? Better to bite your tongue than to run the risk of social isolation or rejection? I mean, what if you see your unpleasant neighbor in immediate need of help and you decide you need to go to the grocery store to buy fish for dinner. How ironic that you might even think of not talking about God's love and forgiveness because you might consider the other person unworthy. Why should I forgive that person? Look at what they did to me. Those fill in the blank. Those black, white, Indian, Mexican, blah, 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 speak a different language. They have a different culture. I can't relate to them. What could I possibly say that would mean anything to them? They're not like us. They wouldn't want to come to our church. We don't want a homeless, poor, convicted person in our fellowship anyway, do we? They just they, they just wouldn't fit in. Or, like Jonah, dare we think that we are exclusive recipients of God's mercy and forgiveness as if it were something that we did or something that God saw in us that moved him to love us more than a person who's next to us? In our sin, we are not like those who have not heard, are we? We are. Do we have a corner on being God's chosen people, like Jonah did in giving preference to the people of Israel over against the pagan Ninevites? As I recall, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, For just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. What do we understand from this? That Jesus did not want to do God's will like Jonah ran? Or did the earth hold Jesus captive so that he could emerge and validate his preaching and the proclamation of God's mercy to all people, to all those who are in bondage of sin and death? That's you and me and our neighbor and the people in town. We all together are unrighteous. We all together are Ninevites. No one is righteous, pure, chosen. We've all fallen from the glory of God, as Paul writes in Romans. And it was Christ who rose from the belly of the earth in whom we have salvation. It appears to me that you and I are not Jewish Christians, but Gentile Christians like the Ninevites. And you turn from sinful ways, repentant, and have received forgiveness and eternal life. Just as the God in his mercy claimed the Ninevites as his own, so God has claimed you and he has claimed me for his purposes to be his people. And it's funny how water appears again and again in scripture. But this time specifically, we want to talk about it being in your calling through the waters of baptism. Imagine this Christ rose from the belly of the earth. And in Christ, we have been buried in the belly of the earth through baptism. In the waters of baptism, he takes you and me as his own to be buried in the earth with Christ, as in the belly of the fish, and to be resurrected with him. Romans 6. Your baptism is your call to be and live as God's people, and you are sent to announce the goodness of God's forgiveness to all people, even to those you do not love, or against whom you may have personal dislikes, or against those whom you think are the most ungodly and unworthy, because you and your sins and unrighteousness were like that too, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, before being swallowed up in Christ and united with him in baptism. So as God chooses Jonah, And as he chose his disciples, so God has chosen you to be his and to go. His sovereignty and word of salvation extends far beyond those whom you and I deem worthy of hearing forgiveness or hope due to our personal preferences or prejudice. When God says, go to all people, he does not mean to those who we find attractive or who we admire or those who like us or find us attractive those whom we think they just might listen, those who are in the same economic and social bracket, those who think like us. No, he means go to all people because he created all people in all walks of life, all cultures. He created the homeless, the drug addict, the poor, the people of all colors and ethnicities and all social and economic classes. God sees us as creation, barring all those other things and he wants his word to be known. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him would have eternal life. So today God calls you in baptism to go. He has secured you as his child. If you risk putting God on hold, waiting, coming, come come before him, do you put him on hold? Come before him as Jonah did and ask for forgiveness. Pray for his strength. Ask him to put words in your mouth and actions in your body that would declare his glory and love to all those around you daily. Our epistle lesson in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that time is of the essence. There is no time to waste. It slips away for the opportunity that we have to witness to others, but more importantly, it slips away from those who are waiting to hear good news. We are called to make the most of that moment an opportunity given to us daily and to live as the called and chosen children of God that we are as God filled Jonah with his spirit to speak his word of repentance and salvation, so you have that same spirit in your baptism. Come forth from the waters of your baptism, triumphant and victorious, to announce God's worldwide message of salvation. Amen.